We're going to be in John 20, beginning at verse 12. John 20, beginning at verse 12. How about John 12, beginning at verse 20? Let's do that one instead, all right? John 20, beginning at verse 12. Today I want to look at the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. The the kingdom of God is what Christ came preaching, right? He said the kingdom of God draws near. The kingdom of God in a simple sense, if you don't understand it, because it's something that's a little confusing, is just the reign and rule of God in this world over his creation. That's the kingdom. So when Jesus shows up, he comes announcing that the, ra- the reign and the rule of God was here. Jesus' birth, his life, his teaching, his ministry, his death, his resurrection and ascension proclaims the arrival of the kingdom of God in a very visible and tangible way. Everything he is, everything he taught shows us a new way to do life right? A new way to live. It shows us what it's meant to be a part of this kingdom of God. And when we proclaim Jesus, we proclaim the kingdom of God. When, when we hear the word kingdom, we, we normally think of a geographic area. We think of land, a place. But the word that Jesus uses in Aramaic wasn't focused on a location. It was actually focused on the rule or the reign itself. The kingdom of God is, can be anywhere that there are Christ followers. And as I said, Jesus said the kingdom of God draws near. He was pointing to the authority and power of God over our lives. When we follow Christ, when we give our allegiance to God to his authority, to his way of doing things, to what he calls us to do, we become a part of this kingdom. His kingdom is unlike any kingdom of this world. And that's why Jesus taught so many contradictory things. Jesus often said, hey, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You've heard an eye for an eye. Retaliate, right? Somebody pokes out your eye, you poke out their eye. But I say, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, offer your other cheek to him. You've you've heard it say, do it this way. But I'm telling you, don't do it this way. And I think part of the reason that the American church is so messed up is because we're continually doing things the way our culture says, the way we think should be done instead of what way this Bible teaches us. And so many people are looking at the church and saying, I don't get what's so different about you guys. You're the same as everybody else. But if we follow Jesus Christ, if we truly become a part of God's kingdom and take on what he taught us to do, we would look so different that people would wonder what's going on with those people. They look like anybody else, like no one else that I've ever seen. We need to be a part of this, about building this. I think you can feel this today. You can feel this more and more, the kingdom of God crashing into our man-made kingdoms, into our culture, in this violent collision, right? And I don't know if you feel it like I do, but 
the more and more I think about this and the more and more I, I just feel like this world is not for me. Like I don't belong here. I don't belong in this culture. I don't recognize this culture. Man, I, I love America. I think it's the greatest nation in the world. But it doesn't feel like home. And it's got a lot of things that need to change. A lot of ugliness in it. I feel like I'm a stranger here, but I feel like I'm called to change it. I feel like I'm called to lead people to Christ and, and to become a part of the kingdom of God. I don't fit with this culture. And if you're a follower of Christ, you shouldn't fit with it either. When we spend our lives in a culture and then we have the kingdom of God thrust into us when we come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and when you have the kingdom of God come into our face, uh, we find many paradoxes that don't make sense to us at first. And so those are the things I want to look up, look at. We find things that just don't line up with what we believe or what we've been taught to believe. We, we find things that just don't make sense to us. Examples, the, the Bible seems to portray that it's better to be poor than rich, right? How many of you grew up wanting to be poor? No, man, I wanted to, I wanted to have six figures, right? This teaching doesn't make sense to me. The Bible says, blessed are you when you mourn. Really? Right? That's a blessing? Blessed are you when you mourn? The Bible says we gain strength when we are weak. That doesn't make sense early on, but it's something I've come to learn and, and really understand and grab onto. And I'm going to tell you as a little kid growing up, it was definitely not better to give than receive. Right? I wanted to get, 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 get. I don't care about give, 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 right? But what, guess what? As you grow older, you're like, oh, that's true. I get that. And that's why I say when you come to know Christ, when you start to follow Christ, hold on. Hold on because he's going to turn your world upside down. And if he hasn't turned your world upside down, you don't know him. You aren't following him because he will do that. He will wreck every part of your life and I'm talking about wrecking it in a good way. He'll turn it upside down and it can be the most freeing, amazing thing that you've ever experienced. And if it's not, get a hold of him. Follow him. Because that should be happening. It is a wild ride. This over and over, this upside-down kingdom confronts our inclinations to do what feels right. Our, our culture does not do reason anymore, right? We are, not a, we are not a people of reason. Have you ever tried reasoning with somebody? There is, there is none of that happening anymore. It's all about what I feel on both sides, on all sides. The kingdom of God confronts our feelings, though, what we want and either our feelings come under the truth of Jesus Christ or we reject God's sovereignty. We reject his rule. We reject his kingdom. That's what's happening today. Well, let's dive into the text. John 12, beginning at verse 20, says this. 
Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In this passage, we have these, these Greek people come up to Philip, and they just want to see Jesus. This would have been a big deal. Jeeks, Jeeks. They're kind of like Greeks, but they're just really smart. <laughs> Greeks, non-Jews, obviously, right, would have been considered unclean, unwelcome, right, in the synagogue. You're, you are not Jewish. Why do you want to see this Jesus? You are not part of God's plan. You are not a part of God's kingdom. But they come wanting to see Jesus. And apparently Philip isn't sure what to do here because he goes and tells Andrew, hey, uh, Andrew, there's some Greeks here that want to see Jesus. Come with me. I'm not sure what's, what's going on. I don't know about you, but I, I remember when I was a kid and I had to tell my parents something, it was always better to grab somebody, especially if that was something like I broke, somebody to come with me because I knew I was less likely to get whooped or beat if I had somebody else, especially not from my family, coming with me in those moments. And I think that's what's going on here. Come with me, Philip. Let's go tell Jesus. So they go together and tell Jesus, Jesus, some Gentiles have come, some Greeks want to see you. And Jesus answers with this weird sentence, the hour, have, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And here's where we see the first paradox. Now, you and I have the benefit of history and knowing how the story plays out, right? But the people who would experience what was about to happen, they would see this as being something totally different. They hear, they hear this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and they think militarily, politically glorified. Oh, they are going to make Jesus king now. Now's the time that we've been waiting for, or they are going to elevate him to some political position of authority. It's finally starting. What we've been waiting for, what we've been praying for, we're under, we're under Roman rule, and we've been praying for deliverance, praying for salvation from the Romans, and now it's finally about to start to happen. When, when someone in our culture talks about glory, right, we think about the, the person that hits the game-winning shot. Right? Do you remember the shot in 1989? The shot when, when the Cleveland Cavaliers were taking on the Chicago Bulls. They came into the playoffs, and the Cleveland Cavaliers were having one of the best seasons that they had. They had one of the highest NBA records. The Bulls barely got in. Everybody thought the Bulls were just going to get destroyed by, by Cleveland. But somehow it goes to a game five the final and deciding game. And I remember watching that game. I remember there were so many lead changes at the end of the game. And I remember somebody, Michael Jordan, hit this game, uh, hit this shot to take the lead with six seconds left. And I'm like, yeah, he just went like that. Yeah, I'm like this, right? Yes. Cleveland calls timeout, though. And Craig Elo inbounds the ball. And if you remember this play, Craig Elo throws the ball in and they immediately throw it back as he's cutting to the basket and he lays it up with three seconds left and they take the lead. And I'm like, ah, we just lost, right? But they call timeout and you know the, the history of this. 
They get the ball to Michael Jordan with three seconds left, and he scores and hits that shot, right, and wins the game and knocks Cleveland out of the, out of the playoffs. And I said, praise God, when that happened, right? You guys might not have, but I was in Chicago at that time. Uh, no, I was, in, I was in Ohio at that time. I was just a Chicago fan. But that's what we think of when we think of glory, right? The people who hit the game-winning shots. That's glory. That's, I remember Michael Jordan pumping his fist and going nuts. Um, when you have record sales as a realtor, that's when we, we see glory, right? When you break some kind of record, that's glory. When Jesus starts off by being beaten severely, that's not glory to us, right? When they, when they blindfold him, and take turns punching him in the face and saying, prophesy, tell us who hit you. That's not glory. Right? When they beat him, when they take great chunks of skin out of him, and when he's beaten so bad that people don't even recognize him as a human being, that's not glory. When they nail you to a cross, when they strip you of your clothes, and when you die, that's not glory glory but when you fast forward and you see him rise from the dead when you see him conquer death when you see him pay the price for all of our sins for Jews for Greeks for everyone that puts their faith and trust in him when you see our relationship with God can be restored right when you see the curtain that's been torn in two so that we can actually have direct fellowship with God that's glory amen in this, Christ reveals that the true nature of glory involves emptying yourself. He empties himself of all station and privilege. He denies himself of what he wanted to do. He didn't want to go to the cross. He knew what awaited him. He knew the beatings. He knew the pain. He knew the rejection from God when he took the weight of all sin on top of him. Right? But he says, not my will, but your will be done. When they, when they are about to take his life, he's like, they aren't taking my life. I'm laying it down. And he dies in the most humiliating way. But now today, he is the name that every knee shall bow before, right? Now he is eternally lifted up. He is eternally glorified. He is the hero of all of our stories. This is the first paradox. You want to be glorified? Humble yourself. Lay yourself low. Pick up your cross. Jesus said, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all things, sort of things about you, even false things about you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's the first paradox. Now, if you're thinking, man, I don't know if I like that, right? Just wait, it gets worse. All right? Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See the paradox? 
If you want a full life, die. The Greek word for life is the word psyche, and we could probably substitute self here. You could translate that as self. You love yourself, you'll lose at life. But if you hate yourself, you'll gain life. That's the complete opposite stance that our culture has today. You, you can't get any more opposite than that. And obviously, we don't want people hating themselves. There's enough of that, that that happens. We don't want people to be destructive towards themselves. But what the Bible is teaching here is, hey, deny yourself. Deny yourself. It warns of us of our nature. We have a selfish nature that puts us ahead of a lot of other people and things. And if we satisfy the desires of our house, of ourself, we're going to hurt other people through that. So that's why the Bible says, deny yourself. The world teaches, though, especially to teens, hey, do whatever you feel like. Do whatever feels right to you. Do whatever makes you happy. Look inside yourself. I don't know how many times I hear that on a weekly basis. Look inside your health self and it makes you happy. Do it. That's what the ads and the shows show us. That's our culture. It's not deny yourself. It's don't deny yourself anything. Go after it. Get it. No matter what. No matter what you have to do, right? And I just want to ask you, if you think that way, I just want to ask you one question. How's it working out for you? Do you have peace? Do you have joy to the fullest? Is your life filled with that? Or is it just you're miserable. You're up and down. At times you're high, times you're low. That's what results from that. Here's what the kingdom of God teaches. The more we turn inwards, the more we focus on us rather than upwards on him, the more things get broken and don't work. We need to deny ourselves. It's not easy, right? How many times do I, right before I go to bed, think, man, those sour cream and onion potato chips sound really good. It's after 10. I'm not supposed to eat after 6, right? I get in trouble. It's after 10 o'clock, and man, and I know I'm going to regret that. I know. I tell myself, you're going to regret that. You're going to regret that. But yeah, but they're really good, right? And then I eat something salty, and then I have to have something sweet. And Adavi loves to bake goods, right? So there's always something around the house. Lydia loves to bake those goods. And so then I eat that, and then I need something to wash it all down with, and then I go to bed and I wake up, and I'm like, why did I do that? I knew I should not do that, right? Deny yourself. That's the easy stuff. That's not the hard stuff. The essence of sin is self-centeredness. The essence of sin is self-centeredness. The essence of sin is you playing God. And the more you make this life about you, the more miserable of a human being you will be. The more you play God, the more angry you'll be, the more anxious you'll be, the more lonely you'll be. And yet, that's what our culture teaches. You, you may not know this, but I make a really crummy God. Or I would make a really crummy God. If I try and make this life all about me, if I bring that into my marriage, what's that going to look like? Man, my, if I bring that into my marriage, my kids and my wife exist to make me happy. 
And when they don't do what I think they should do, then I'm going to be angry. And I spent a lot of time in that place. We make crappy gods. You, you take that into your marriage, you'll go down a dangerous, jo- dangerous road where you justify doing some things that you know you shouldn't do. If, if you are God and you work well, everyone better understand how important you are at that job, right? Everyone better give you the respect that you deserve. There, there are people that think that they are the most important thing in a company and, and their work is so much more important than everybody else's. And those are the people that are so angry at work. Everyone else better be bowing down and, and paying my respect to me and doing all these things and realize how lucky they are to have me working there. Those people, like I said, just are filled oftentimes with rage. Speaking of angry, I'm driving to Chicago and I'm on like a two-lane interstate driving a little faster than I should be. Just a little bit. Under 10, though. Under 10 miles most of the time. But as I'm driving, it's all about me. And there's some idiot in the left lane driving the same miles per hour as the person in the right lane for a long period of time. And that's the thing, types of things that starts to get me to rage. You know, uh, Everyone knows the left lane, if you don't know this, learn this, right? The left lane is for passing. You get beyond that, and then you get over, right? You don't drive in the left lane, especially if you're going to keep up with traffic. So I do what I should do. I get behind them, and I tailgate them, right? I'm going to let them know they're doing something wrong by getting a little close to their bumper, right? And when that doesn't work, I flash the lights. (laughs) Time to get off. Get out of the way, right? Man, you see, though, I make it all about me. You know what I, you know, and then when I get around them, finally something opens up, I get around them, it's coming. It's coming, the look. Right? <laughs> I'm going to give them the stare as I'm passing them on the right because they're still in that left lane. <laughs> and half the time, it's some 80-year-old person there. Right? And I'm like, oh. Barely can see over their steering wheel and their dashboard. Right? But man, I get, every time I get filled with rage when people do that because it's, the highway's all about me and what I want to do and get out of my way so I can drive fast and get there where I'm going. Man, we make, a, we make crummy gods. If you're like me, you make a crummy god. And I, and I can prove it, Right? Has anyone made more promises to you than you and broke them? Has anyone lied to you more than you have? Has anyone been more abusive to you than you have? You make a crummy God. You make a crummy God, and we all need to realize that. The way to the best life is to realize that you make a bad God and to go to the one true God and accept him as Lord and Savior. Don't do what you want to do. Do what God calls you to do. Die to yourself. Die to your ego. Die to your pride. Die to your selfish desires. It's the only way 
to have that full life. And I know it goes against what we're taught by this culture, but it's really the only way to live. How much anxiety is tied to the fact that you can't control everything in your life, your environment? You don't know what's coming tomorrow. You can't control what's coming tomorrow. I think COVID taught us that, right? But we're freaking out about it. You can't control the people in your life, right? So you have a ton of anxiety. How much is that is tied to you just believing that you can control everything? Here's what's great. Here's what's great. Here's the Christian position. I get to die to all that. I can't control it. But I know that I'm not the point. I'm not what this life is all about. But I know the one who is the point. I know the one who it is all about. And I get to die to that anxiety because I know the one who's sovereign. I know the one who's in control over every molecule of the known universe even over COVID. And he's moved towards me with grace and compassion. He hasn't come towards me with, with condemnation. He's come towards me with grace and compassion. And so in that space, I get freed up from my rage. I get freed up from my anxiety, because no matter what happens, I'm going to trust him with whatever's going on, because I know he's the one who knows everything. He has all the power, and he is for me. He's for me, not against me. I'm going to grab onto that, hold on to that, make that a pillar in my life. I live in a world that's crazy, right? You live in a world that's crazy. It's fallen. It's broken. Right, where people do horrible things to other people. We have scary words like cancer, like COVID. We know that bad things happen to good people. We talked about that with the story of Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. He did the right thing and he was thrown into jail. It's not fair. But I know my Redeemer lives. Isn't that what Job said as his world completely burned my Redeemer lives. Die to everything being about you, revolving around you. What would happen in your marriage if you took that stance? What if it wasn't all about you? In our marriages, if our spouses do something wrong to us, it gives us the right to do something wrong to them. And it starts a vicious cycle. Oh, you do this? Well, fine, I'm not going to do this for you, or I'm going to do this for you, do this to you, and then it just elevates as how a lot of things happen when we get in fights with people, right? Step out of that. Get out of that cycle, man. Die to that. Die to your rights. Die to your right to be offended by somebody. Die to your right to get back at someone. Die to your right to pay someone back. Die to yourself. Die to everything being about you. Here's, about, here's how the Apostle John talks about it. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that's what we're talking about, the desires of the, of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away. Can you feel that? The world is passing away along with its desires. When you go after what the world 
says to go after, does it ever really satisfy you for any amount of time? For a week, a weekend, man, I got to have that new car. But whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you have this paradox of glory, which is humility and weakness, right? Not power grabbing is where it's at. Be humble. Lower yourself. Put other people above yourself. Think of others above yourself. Think of God above you, right? That's, that's what we talked about first. Then we have this paradox of life, which is to get life to the fullest. You have to die to it, all right? Third one, third paradox, paradox is found in verse 26. And it says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Here's my question. Do you want to be where the action is? Like, do you want to make a difference in this world? Do you want to really make a difference in somebody's lives? Do you want to be a part of what God is doing? Don't you love when you hear those testimonies of what God is doing and think, man, I wish I was a part of that or I wish I had that happening in my life? Are you just tired of being a spectator? That's what so many churches are, filled with spectators. Do you want to get in the game? If you want that, he says, follow me. Follow me and serve me. That's the command here. And I want us to get this. I'm desperate for us to get this. I'm desperate for myself to get this more. I'm desperate for you to get this more. So please don't miss this. This is huge for our church. There are so many Christians, though, that are just happy to stay in the stands, that just believe that the kingdom work has been given to church leaders, special people like pastors, not people like you. You never find that in the Bible, though. You will not find that sentiment in the Bible. So the paradox of place is this paradox of if you want to be right there in the middle of the action, you want to be on the field, you want to be living your best life, you want to, you want to be walking in glory, you don't blaze the trail. You follow Christ in whatever way he calls you to follow him. You stay next to him. You walk and step with the Holy Spirit. And to follow Jesus, it requires a seriousness. It requires a, a commitment. Hear, hear me. It requires an intentionality that is more than just attending church. That's nothing. Anybody can attend church. Attend church. But follow Christ and whatever he calls you to do. Search for that. Where have you equipped me, Lord? What gifts have you given me? How do I play a role in what you're doing? If you can get into that mindset and get involved in that, then you'll, you'll be a part of changing people's lives or seeing Christ change people's lives through you. There's nothing better than that. You need a, you need a seriousness about following Jesus in, in, in every day in every way, in everyday situations. You just can't be a Christian in church on Sunday, right? And be a totally different person at work or a totally different person with your family. You should look the same. You have to follow him every day, everywhere, with everyone. Let me read you this quote. 
because it's recently become one of my favorites, and it's from The Hiding Place by, by Corey Ten Boom. Um, if you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, look it up. She, she went through a, a Nazi concentration camp. Um, she during, lived during the time of World War II and had horrible things going on. Uh, she had a twin sister, though, and they both went into this camp. And, and listen to what her, her sister tells us. She says, Corey, there are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our safety. Let us pray that we may always know it. You want to be in the center of God's will? That is the safest place to be. Follow and serve him. Last part of verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is a future orientation. This, this passage isn't saying if you follow and serve Jesus, God's going to increase your bank account here, or he's going to give you six-pack abs, or your kids are going to be perfect and not make any mistakes, and your marriage is going to be filled with tons of passion, romance, right? Like, none of that is in here. This is when all things are said and done and you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, before the throne of God, the creator of the universe. This tells us he will honor you. There's an eternal reward, which is what the Bible talks about over and over again. There are different rewards for people in heaven. The scripture teaches it matters how you use what's been entrusted to you in this planet it matters how you live your life, right? I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is the gift of grace to everyone. You don't earn that. There's nothing you can do to earn that. There aren't different stages in that, right? It's for everyone equally. But at the end, there are rewards for how you live your life. Here's where I want to end, and, and Lydia, if you'd go get <clears throat> Adam and them. The kingdom of God collides with our culture. When you, when you become a part of the kingdom of God, when you accept Jesus Christ as, as your Savior and Lord, that collision starts immediately, right? It can seem upside down when those paradoxes are put before you. Turn the other cheek, right? Don't pay back evil for evil. Pray for your enemies. But the more you're a part of it, the more upside down our culture feels, and seems the more the way of God seems natural and you see the trueness of it and the fullness of it as you experience that too many too many Christians are chasing after this culture after this life after the desires of their heart and they are empty empty they you know it because you've chased after it you've got them and they're empty or you're constantly chasing after them and that's the only time that you're happy die to that and you can find a full life. I, I, I want to speak to you if you aren't a Christ follower about this life to the fullest. I never want to sell Christianity to you. I hear sometimes some preachers. I never want to tell you that if you follow Christ, all your dreams will come true, that life will be roses, that it will be easy, that you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and nothing bad will happen. Because that's not what Christ says. Right? He says, in this world, you're going to have problems. Instead, though, what Christ is talking about with this is he's saying, follow me and make me Lord of your life, and I'll show you what the good things really are. 
And he promises us to give us the desires of our hearts if we seek after the kingdom. But that's after a reorientation happens. That's after your world is flipped upside down. That's after you realize that the desires of your heart, your, your earthly, selfish heart, aren't where it's at. And no, this is where it's at. You chase after the world, you will be exhausted. You will be full of weariness, anxiousness, angry, and lonely. Why do you see people in Hollywood that have it all and they're miserable? Because it's not where it's about. You follow Jesus, you might not have a scent, but you can be filled with joy. You can be filled with peace. You can have a purpose. You can make a difference in people's lives. No matter what life throws at you, you can find freedom. You can find comfort in being a son or daughter of Christ. Amen? And all you have to say is, I'm done playing God. I ask you to reign and rule over my life. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my self-centeredness. Forgive me for the things I've done wrong and help me to surrender every area of my life to you because I want to follow you. Teach me your ways, Lord. Teach me your ways. Lord, I trust you. Save me. That's it. That's the posture that you take. And I guarantee if you do that, man, a ton of weight will be taken off you. To you that have done that, let me remind you of the ongoing work of sanctification. The ongoing work of when you come to Christ and you say, I'm all about you. I am dying to myself. Reign in my life. I give you every area of my life. Sanctification requires you over and over as you are, as you are confronted by the word of God and you find that area in your life that does not line up with scripture. Sanctification requires you to die to that, to surrender that, and to give it to Christ and live fully for, you, for him. It's something that happens over and over and over. You will be confronted by things. You will be asked to lay things down. You will be asked to give him things and to submit to him. And it's the greatest thing in the world. It is the most freeing things in the world. You would not think it, follow these rules, and that be freeing, right? Speaking of paradox, the, the don't do these in the Bible that you find, you follow those rules and you find freedom. You find life and joy. You think rules take fun away as you're growing up. Who likes rules, but they bring true freedom, the upside-down kingdom. I mean, seriously, take away all the laws in the world, and how chaotic would that be? How horrible would it be if everybody could just do what they want to do? But that's what we're moving towards. That's what our culture says to do. If you're a follower of Christ, can I just, can I just challenge you today to dive deeper? to submit every area of your life to Christ in every area that he confronts you, in every area that he asks you to step out and serve. Whenever you're tempted to think, I don't want to surrender that, I want to hold on to that, right? Because I want to do that. Remember, that comes from a place where you think that you know better than God, where you're playing God, and you stink at being God. 
When God asks you to lay something down, think of it as an opportunity for greater joy, for intimacy, for peace, an invitation to the full life. Amen? Praise team, would you come up? They're going to close us in a song. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God, right, for opportunities to share Christ with him. So we'll reach out to him. Thanks for sharing. Um, The Bible tells us the more that we try to save our life, the more we try to hang on to what we want, the more we lose it. Have you experienced that? Man, I spent way too many years trying to hang on to what I thought was important, what I thought is what I wanted and it never brought anything good. It never did. You know, moments of happiness. But when I surrendered my life to Christ, that's when I became alive. Do you need to do that today? They're going to come and sing a song and pray. Maybe you don't know Christ. You want to give your life to Christ. Just ask Him to save you. Maybe there's some area in your life that you need to surrender to him. Don't wait. Now's the time. Trust him with it. As as they're singing, we're going to stand. You can come up here. If you want somebody to pray for you, come to me. I'll pray for you. Or or grab somebody else and I'll pray for you. If you just want to come up here and just pray and be alone, that's awesome. Right? We'll respect that. We might come behind you and just lay hands on you and pray for you, but we won't ask you what you're doing. But I have to believe there's some people that need to surrender some things today. Every day. Multiple times a day. 
I want the good life for you. I don't want what this world has for you. I don't want what this world has for me. I want to surrender it and continually surrender it. Even my driving, right? To Christ. Now's the time, though, to make that decision. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for entrusting that to us. Thank you for giving that to us. Thank you for showing us what life is really about. Thank you for not just saying it, right? Anybody could say it. But you lived it. You lived a life of service. You lived a life of sacrifice. You were there for people. You helped people. You loved people. You gave your life for people. And we as your followers, help us to do the same. Lord, I don't know what's going on with this this gentleman, this Nick. But Father, I pray that you would use us to reach him. Lord, draw us into whatever you're doing. Father, give us wisdom. Give us discernment, Lord. But I pray that this person would, would, through this, come to know you and surrender their life completely to you. Father, help us to plant seeds if it's not that time. But help us to reach out. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Do me a favor. If uh, I can pray for you about something, send me a text. Let me know what God's doing in your life. It's just nice to know when God's reaching out to somebody so that I know that um, what, what's happening. Uh, go represent the kingdom, right? We gather to scatter. There's opportunities all around to represent Christ and to share the good news with those around us. So I pray that you would see yourself as an ambassador for that kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.